Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given throughout the area. Today's show features Father John Tregilio and his talk, The Sacraments, an Overview, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2010. And now, Father John Tregilio. But now that people get better, I think the danger is that people presume they're going to get better, or they just think of the, of the physical and don't think of the spiritual. Okay, you're getting better. Physically, the doctors help you beat this disease or put it in remission. Are you spiritually better, though? Have you ever seen a bad patient? Someone who is not a happy camper? Family comes to visit them. They growl, they snarl, they throw stuff. And usually... This person has something relatively minor. The person in the same room next to them who's got terminal cancer, they got 5,000 tubes popping out of them. They're pleasant. The guy with the ingrown toenail is the one who's the animal. Why is that? Because the one closest to death realizes many times, hey, I'm going to have to answer for my life. Life is too short, too precious for me to be mean to people, especially the ones who, who came out of their way to visit me, beat all that traffic, came all the way over to see me, and here I am yelling at them. I can tell you from personal experience, people who've been anointed have actually become better, holier people with their illness. My dad who had leukemia, we would take him to the cancer clinic first once a month, then it was once a week, then it was like a couple times a week. But you could tell the difference between some people who, even though they were not winning the battle, so to speak, with the disease, were transforming themselves. And their relatives said, wow, this is a different person. It was always the same person, but this was their better side coming out in the midst of their suffering. We had a priest in my diocese who contracted Lou Gehrig's. He was only 30 years old, and within five years he was completely in a wheelchair. And then... He'd got some of this experimental medicine, so they, he lived another seven years. But for the last five years of his life, he couldn't even talk. But his mind was still there. And he would come to Mass. They would, priests would put vestments on him. Prisoners would take turns cleaning him, bathing him. He didn't want to go to the nursing home, not because he didn't feel that they could help him, but he wanted people to see, just like Pope John Paul the Great wanted people to see when he battled his Parkinson's this idea of redemptive suffering. And every time a priest would anoint this priest, tears of joy would come out of his eyes. He was so happy to be anointed. And I can tell you, when he was able to talk, it was, a, it was just like talking to a saint. Before he got his illness, he was like the rest of us, preoccupied with all the usual stuff. Where's the bishop going to send me? How bad a pastor is he going to be? When do I get my day off? All that stuff. And then, now as a young priest, he's hit with Lou Gehrig's. He's trapped in his body. He can do nothing for himself. And the saddest thing, a priest who can't say Mass, the one thing that you, you were ordained to do, that you live for, he couldn't even raise his hands to consecrate. He couldn't even say the words of consecration. But he was still a priest. Despite his illness, he, his ontological essence had not changed. And he offered it up as a sacrifice. 
And that's the essence of the priesthood, is to offer sacrifice. But the anointing, my friends, greatly helps him. So you see, in the natural level, we have all these things, being born, being fed, maturing or growing up. We have this process of also preparing for our end. But then that's all just on the singular individual basis. We don't live alone. We live in a community, a society. And so we have institutions in the physical world that help us live in community. So we have the natural institution of marriage, which existed before the sacrament of marriage. What Jesus did was he sanctified something that was already there and elevated to the level of a sacrament. He took marriage and made it matrimony. And from matrimony, from the sacrament, we get the family, the domestic church. We also have in society the need not just for families, but we need for some order. We need somebody to, you know, be in charge of things. Someone to have responsibility to protect us. And so we have our civil government. We have our mayor, our governor, our president, our congressman, our state representative. We have the police, the fire department, people who help defend and protect us. In the spiritual realm, we have the sacrament of holy orders that does the same. So Thomas looked at these things and said, wow. In the natural level, we have seven different things that exist to help us individually and corporately. We have the same kind of seven helps in the supernatural realm. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out who made both realms, the physical and the spiritual God. So if he has seven things in the natural, it would make sense for him to have seven in the supernatural. And as Father mentioned in his sermon today, the sacraments have this external component to it, the outward sign, because you can't see grace. Now, does that mean God doesn't give you grace right now? Of course, you're getting grace right now just being in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Now, if we had a special camera, it 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 wouldn't see anything else. There is no special film. There's no infrared. There's no goggles you could wear to see grace bombarding everybody. Okay, It's invisible. Nevertheless, it's here. It's real. Now, we could be like Quakers and just sit in an empty room and wait for something to happen. But God, in his infinite wisdom, what did Jesus do at the Last Supper? Did he say, okay, boys, let's just be quiet and sit here and meditate? No! He took something physical. Bread and wine. He spoke words. This is my body. This is my blood. He told us, go baptize using water. And saying the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even when he told the apostles, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. Not only did he speak words, but he breathed on them. He did something very physical so that it was recorded in sacred scripture. Why did he do that? Not because he had to, but for emphasis sake. Because the more your senses are involved, 
the more you remember. Everybody remembers Junior's baptism day, right? Everybody remembers the, 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 the baby. And, but how much do you remember of things that nothing was spoken? Just sitting there. There are things that are in our memory because there are particular actions, things that are lodged into our being. Even the oil that we use, the chrism oil has a little balsam mixed in it so that you can smell it. Why do you think we use incense tonight? Not because these aren't laundered and they need to be clean. All right, I just got them out of dry cleaners. Incense has a physical quality that you see the smoke, but you also smell the aroma. God made the physical world. It's good. But we're also aiming ourselves to the, to the spiritual world. There's a part of us that's connected to it already because we have an immortal soul. But the things we use in the sacraments and the sacramentals, things like holy water, candles, and the like, there's something tangible to them. Because this is tangible. Your eyes, your ears, your nose. God made you that way, and he's going to use it to his advantage. So when people say, oh, well, I don't need the sacraments. Well, that's like saying to the doctor, I just, just put me on life support. But you're not sick. Yeah, but just put me on life support. I don't, I don't want to eat. I don't want to exercise. Just put me in a room, hook me up with the IV, and you know what? You'll be alive, but barely. You'll exist, but you'll de- be depriving yourself of life to the full. Spiritually, Many Christians are content with being on life support. And God's saying, I'm offering you so much more. More grace. More activity. More participation. That's why the sacraments don't belong to us. They belong to God. Father got some strange phone calls. I got strange phone calls. Somebody want to know, can I baptize Junior in their pool? Because they're going to have a pool party after the baptism. This way, they won't have to change clothes. We'll all be at the pool anyway. I said, look, if you want to jump in the pool after the baptism, you go ahead and jump in the pool. But the sacrament is God's gift to your kid. I said, what amazes me is we'll go to a baptism, and God forbid they should even dress up for this now, but they'll spend hours, hours, picking out the proper gift and wrapping it. Kid doesn't even know what it is, all right? But you want it to look good, umbella figura, as we say in Italian. You want it to look good, show off what you bought, big box, all this wrapping paper and ribbon. You spend all that time for the present so that the present looks good. But to go to church, cut off jeans, T-shirt, things popping out, It's a whole priority that's upside down. The best thing we can give that kid is the best of our faith and the best example we can give. Our devotion, reverence. Children learn by example. When they see us before the Blessed Sacrament kneeling, 
They might ask, why are you doing that? Why do we have to be quiet in church? Why do we got to wear good clothes to go to Mass? Because it's special. The place is special. The person who's inviting you is special. And you're special. That's why you got invited. That's the proper wedding garment, my friends. Remember the poor slob who got thrown out? It wasn't because he couldn't afford one. Because when he was asked, where is it? He was reduced to silence. Everybody had a wedding garment. Didn't matter how much it cost. Didn't matter how, what it was made out of. Every good Jew had a wedding garment. And if you went to a wedding without a wedding garment, that was an insult to the person who invited you. So even though this poor slob got invited at the last minute, people say, oh, the poor guy, he, you know, he, was on, he wasn't on the invitation list. Yeah, but he had the stinking wedding garment at home. He just didn't take the time to go get it. He figured, ah, I don't need to get it. That's how casual. He treated the invitation the same way as the people who blew off the invitation. doesn't matter how much it cost. It doesn't matter what it was made out of. The fact is you showed respect by wearing it. We show respect by dressing modestly. Modestly. doesn't mean expensively, because some of the expensive stuff is just as disgusting as the cheap stuff. Things pop out of expensive clothes, and they pop out of cheap clothes. And it's usually the people that things shouldn't be popping out of anyway. You know, someone ought to tell them, look, you're not an occasion of sin. You might be an occasion of, of nausea, but not an occasion of sin. But what do our kids learn when they see how we treat the sacraments? Are they just things? Commodities? Again, we go to the phone. Many times that's the first time we hear of somebody in the neighborhood who's Catholic. We don't see them in church, but you hear them when they want to get married, when the kid needs to be baptized, when Junior needs confirmation. The rest of the time, where are these people? Ah, they're out there somewhere. The sad part is, they're hurting themselves. That's like saying, I'm only going to go to the dentist when my tooth hurts. Your mouth is not going to look too nice. Okay? I know some people take better care of their car than of their soul. I have something I call Jiffy Lube Spirituality. Every three months you get your motor oil changed. Every three months go to confession. Alright? I have relatives who religiously, religiously rotate their tires and get their oil changed. I said, you know what? You can go to church the same weekend you're getting your tires rotated. I said, have the priest look under your hood and see what needs to be done. And you know what? It may, it may sound funny, but it works. You, when, the, when the doctor gives you that little card for you to make an appointment, you mark it down, you put it on the fridge, and someone says, hey, Fred, don't forget, you got an appointment tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you go, because you made the appointment. Make an appointment. You don't have to necessarily call the priest and say, I'll see you next Friday, Father, but make an appointment with yourself. Put it in your iPad or your iPod or your Blackberry. Make it with yourself and say, I'm going to confession every month or every three months. And you'll take it seriously. And the children will notice how seriously we take the sacraments. They're not things. They're sacred actions. And they belong to the church. 
I have relatives who sadly I was not asked to do their weddings. And even if they did ask me, I couldn't do it because they didn't want to get married in church. They want to get married on the beach. The beach. Why do you want to get married on the beach? Oh, it looks so nice. You know, and we have a little picnic. And I said, you know, I found one cousin, I found a church just two blocks from the beach. I said, you can go there. You don't have to wear a tux. You don't have to wear the expensive white gown. Just dress modestly, nicely. And then you can put on your bathing suits after the, after the wedding and go into the, into the lake. No, no, we'd rather spend the whole thing at the lake in our scampies there. How sad. Because you're denying the guest of honor that special invitation. You're asking Jesus to come and bless your wedding He's offering you the use of his house, and you say, no thanks. That's what you're saying to Jesus. Those of you who are Italian, you know what I mean, okay? He invites you to take advantage of his house, and you say, no thank you. I'd rather do it outside. This is God's house. Your friend says, come over to my house and eat. And you say, no, that's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to the driving window at Wendy's. I just invited you to my home for a nice home-cooked meal, and you said, no, you'd rather go to the driving window. Yeah, yeah, I like those little, you know, French fries and that. You wouldn't be friends too long with a lot of people, believe me. Christ invites us to a sacred banquet of his body and blood, and people say, nah, 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 I don't need to go. I don't need to get married in church. We're treating sacraments not just casually, but we're ignoring them. Or we think we own them. I'm sure Father has had this experience where people have called and said, well, I got three godmothers and... Wait, three godmothers? Wait a minute. Canon law says one of each gender or just one. Yeah, but you know, Father, I saw in a soap opera once. I don't care what's on the young and the restless. If they had eight godfathers, we don't have eight godfathers in the church even though there was a movie with Dean Martin and, and uh, John Wayne and they were all godfathers, it doesn't happen. One godmother, one godfather, or just one. Who's a practicing Catholic? That's not fair. Look, if you were going to court, wouldn't you want a good witness on your behalf? Wouldn't you want someone who's the sterling pillar of society to get up on the stand and say, I vouch for them. Or do you want Charlie Manson up there? Do you want Osama bin Ogden up there and saying, I love this person, we are great terrorists together? Of course not. Then why do you pick somebody who hasn't been to church in 42 years, hasn't opened the Bible, hasn't prayed a day in his life, but it's his turn? His turn. That's what what they do in Al-Qaeda. It's your turn to strap on the bomb. and Okay, you go now. It's your turn. But it doesn't work for the sacraments. To be a godparent, it's not your turn. And you know what I do? I love this when I do baptism because they don't expect it. I have the family sitting there, and then I have the godparents right next to the parents. And I said, godparents, you know what your job is? It's not to slip Junior $5 on his baptism day and on his birthday and Christmas. For the rest of your natural life on earth, you're going to pray for this person every day of your life. And if you don't, God's going to hold you accountable the day you die. You're promising today before Almighty God that you're going to be a godparent, which means you're going to be a good example for them. You're going to go to church. You're going to pray. You're going to keep the commandments. You're not going to horn in on mom and dad and tell mom to raise the kid, but you're going to be a good example. 
every day of your life. And you're going to be a part of them, always. Some of them want to run. They didn't tell me about this part. That's what a godparent does. It has nothing to do with presents and gifts. You want to be a witness to this person. When my bishop, uh, two bishops ago, he's now deceased, he had a confirmation, he gave three talks, one to the kids, one to the parents, and one to the sponsors. And he walked into the area where the sponsors were, and he says, I know some of you got your slip of paper from the pastor, and no one knows how, because you haven't been to church in 20-some years. And you see people sliding down like this. He said, I don't care how you got in today, you're in. And maybe someone should have been more careful in picking you, but the point is, you're in now, and we're holding you to it. So if you haven't been going to church regularly, you are now for the rest of your life. You're going to be a good example to this compromise because they deserve nothing less. And parents, this is not a get-out-of-CCD card free. Confirmation is not the end of religious instruction. It doesn't mean that I can blow off Mass on Sunday now. And you'd be surprised how you could almost hear a pin drop because well, we weren't expecting that. We thought he was going to tell us jokes and uh, make it all seem like fun. Hey, we're talking about a spiritual warfare out there. We're fighting the devil. Sin. He hates you. He wants you to spend eternity in hell. So you've got to be prepared. And you want your loved ones to be prepared. You want them to be armed with the truth of revelation, with the grace of the sacraments. Of course, we live in a time when people, they'll send their kids to school and they haven't been inoculated or vaccinated and they say, oh no, that, they, they, they won't catch any of that stuff. So what happens? Polio's coming back. Diseases that my parents still thank God they got rid of are coming back because some parents are just too lazy to get their kids to see the doctor. I'm not talking about questionable ethical derivatives of, of vaccines there. I'm talking about things just in general. Oh, well, if they catch it, they'll catch it. Yeah, and if they're in a wheelchair the rest of their life, what are you going to do? But spiritually, it's even worse. Why would you get your kid baptized and then not make sure that they're properly prepared for their first communion and for their confirmation and everything in between? And if you really love someone, wouldn't you want the priest to be there to give them the last rites? There's a beautiful apostolic blessing you give to someone before they leave this earth and has a plenary indulgence attached to it. The last thing a person should hear before they leave this earth are the words, Jesus. Sadly, too many times the last thing people hear is whatever nonsense is on the TV. Or the relatives are fighting in the other room. Who's going to get dad's car? I've seen that. They're fighting. The guy ain't even dead yet. And they're fighting over who gets what. Then they call me five hours later after he's as cold as, as the Himalayan mountains. I said, you should have called me while he was still alive. I could have anointed him. Now I'm gonna, all I can do now is bless a dead body. The sacraments are there for a reason to make us holy. That's why they're a pillar of faith. You know, when you look at the catechism, those four pillars, the, the creed, the doctrines of our faith, the sacraments, the means of sanctification, we have the Ten Commandments, the way of living a moral life, and the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, how to pray, have a spiritual life. 
But the sacraments are an integral component. You need, it's not either or. You need them. You need the sacraments. As much as you need the creed, the doctrines of the church. As much as your lungs need oxygen and your heart needs blood, your soul needs grace. And the sacraments are the perfect source of grace. They're not the only source. That's why non-Catholics can still get grace. So non-Catholics can become holy, yes. But we have a, a for sure perfect source. We have like a spigot that when you turn it on, boom, it comes out. Other places they got to go and hunt and find maybe there'll be a few drops here, a few drops there. We've got the plumbing. Okay? The direct conduit from God to us, that's the sacrament. Why would you want to deny yourself that? And the most beautiful of all is the Eucharist, which is not just a sign, it's a reality. It's grace itself personified. Uncreated grace. Right now, you have heaven and earth in this very room looking at you in the eye. The spiritual and the material perfectly united in the Blessed Sacrament. Appearances of bread, but the substance of divinity. You see something, but what you see is not what's really there. But what is there, we couldn't look at anyway. It'd be like looking at the sun. So my friends, for these next two days, ponder those holy and beautiful sacraments and see them for what they are, treasures. Treasures. Remember the gospel story of the woman who finds the, the, the gold coin and she's all happy, she invites her friends over. The guy who finds the pearl, he sells all that he has to get the pearl. The man who finds the treasure and buys the property so he can have the treasure. The sacraments are treasures of grace. The only time we lose them is when we turn our back on them. God always offers them freely, but we must respond. That's why they're called the perfect gift. He doesn't shove it down our throat. He makes it available. The confessional is always available. But you've got to go through the door. You've got to put your hands together and make the overture and ask for that grace. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.